Well, hi there, and welcome to my podcast where I invite you to run with me after memories and shape them into stories. On this show, I'll also share samples of my writing and interesting moments from everyday life. I'm your host, Ruru Sig, and today you're listening to my first podcast, The Story Chaser. Hi folks, welcome back. This is episode two of The Story Chaser. And before I jump right into tonight's episode full on, I want to start with a little side topic about inspiration and creativity. Where and when do ideas visit you? Does it often happen like in in opportune times? Because I totally get that. I really do. It's the exact reason why so many pages of my notebook are water stained. I will have my hands in the suds in the sink, washing a plate or cup, and suddenly a really great idea will go through my mind. And I've learned to keep that notepad handy for such occasions because waiting till later, putting it off, has only meant that the ideas will run away and go find another artist to take care of them. Creativity doesn't understand our timing, so we must meet it halfway and grab a hold while it's there. So fun tip, keep a notepad with you, always, and if that isn't convenient, our handy little cell phones have voice memo options. I have many recordings in my phone, like, for example, I'm on the expressway, but it just hit me that I should create a podcast. Okay, now, episode two. Tonight, I'm talking about my roots in storytelling. I was just reading over a family text thread, which is a close second to a novel, but that's what happens when there's 12 children in one family. There are days when I'm too busy to keep up with messages, and when I finally look at my phone, there's hundreds of texts, and they're all from family. We communicate a lot, clearly. Well... I mostly observe and read over, which is my role being the youngest of the 12. Tonight's thread had a rhythm of support for the release of my first episode, the second floor that wasn't there. They were congratulating me and then sharing different creative tips and strategies of their own process of storytelling. I felt like I didn't even need to take notes or outline for this episode. I could have just taken screenshots as my rough draft. My family is a combination of passion and talent, so I felt on top of the world to have initiated such a hilarious and heartfelt texterization tonight. There are thousands of great stories that are lived, and I bet many are happening to people I know and love right now. People have experiences and encounters that are truly meant to be shared. However, I feel there's no point in sharing a story until one can tell it well. I have no tolerance for the ums and uhs that break the rhythm and flow. Unnecessary repeating of minutia is just sloppy, in my opinion. And unfortunately, these are common traits, and I know I sound like a jerk, and you may very well be shaking your head right now. Perhaps you've even said out loud, like, who does she think she is, anyway? Rude. I'll tell you who I am. I am a person who was raised by a bunch of story snobs. Thank God. 
I bought their cigarettes with a note. I put their shoes on when they weren't home and swam in souls much larger than my own. I was invited into their drama by visiting their bedrooms. I was influenced by the shows they watched and the music they listened to. I lived in the shadows of the life experiences they had. I abided obediently when they called out, reserved, and pointed to their place on the couch before leaving the room. I didn't dare sit in that spot. I observed them in admiration for what I could only hope to become. To me, my brothers and sisters were and are the funniest geniuses ever, and they rarely tell jokes. It all lies in the expressions on their faces, the impressions of other people, the embellishments of everyday tasks. Ultimately, they're just playing adult hand and playing it well. Our home was a training ground for developing perfect senses of humor. Our storytelling would be our saving grace. We knew that going out into the world, we wouldn't have the latest clothes or shoes to present ourselves, so we better bring some pretty damn good stories. What our family lacked in material things we made up for in humor. The craft of impressions were fine-tuned. We traded our experiences and versions of things for laughs. We needed to recognize cue points and land a punchline perfectly. And in the chaos, that window for an opportunity wasn't open long. See, in our house, when a story swung out too far or dragged in moments, it was literally booed. I've paid the price and felt the sting of disapproval. I've been booed mid-sentence in the very house I grew up in because my story wasn't hitting the mark set by us as a family. There was an opportunity of silence once, which was rare, and I felt brave. So I began speaking to the siblings. We were kind of just hanging around in the living room, and I started with, yesterday, this tooth started wiggling, and then I pushed it a little, and later I felt it move a little bit more, and then a little... And the dreaded interrupter, cupping their hands over their mouth with a low tone, boo, only to be echoed by the rest. It was suddenly like a den of coyotes calling out to the story gods, asking to put this teller out of her misery. To a stranger, it would appear cruel, but we knew it was preparation. It was necessary, brutal truth. I was stunned. Had my position of being the baby in the family really not spared me of the dreaded boo? While scanning the room in my panicked state, they appeared frozen in laughter, encouraging one another like a circle of taxidermy stuffed amid the prowl. I mean, honestly, what was I thinking? I was amongst those who had openers like, Why am I late, Mom? Why? Why am I late picking Lane up? Because... I got interrogated at LaGuardia, separated from my group, read my rights, had my purse confiscated because I had a lighter, a cigarette lighter in the lining of my purse, shaped like a small gun made out of metal. And what that ostrich chased us all the way through the underground parking lot. And big guy grabs me from behind, puts me in a bear hug, and just like Houdini, I slip out of that jacket. The next time he sees me, I'm looking at him from the outside of the bar, and, and he's hugging my jacket like a teddy bear. And I just mouth to him, 
Now what, big guy? Now what? And... One night, after telling them for months about the Sandman, I'm standing at the end of my bed, and Dad is coming down the hallway, and he sees me standing there, and he says, what the hell are you doing up? And I said, I don't even turn around. I'm like, Dad, if you tiptoe in, you could see him too. And he's just tiptoeing in, and then, oh, my God, he starts screaming. Yeah, an actual dude outside of our house talking to my sister through the window. Did I really think the tale of my loose tooth would maintain interest in our family? I stood up, my eyes blinking in shock, and went into the bathroom, pretending to need it, but really just standing in disbelief behind the closed door. In the distance, I heard the murmur of discussion and muffled words of debate over my mercy. It was going on too long. What? She has to learn sometime. I looked into the rectangular mirror that hung poorly on the back of our bathroom door, and I had a talk with myself. There I stood, a child, upon the cold black and white square tile floor, before my own reflection pointing, next time make it more interesting. A goal was set. The jolting echo of a coin slamming against the door snapped me back into the game. Time's up. That was a signature move in our house. When the bathroom was occupied too long, a family member would stand directly in front of the closed door in our dining room, wind up, and throw a coin at the door with all their might. The acoustics of our small bathroom would echo the cling to a deafening degree, literally startling the crap out of someone. While constructing the following piece, I reached out to my brother Tom for some help. Hey, what were the rules for Wiffle Ball again, bro? A game that started with children passing time and eventuated as our Washtenaw Street trademark for over 35 years. As usual, his response was short, sweet, and more profound than he intended. He replied, If it's not a home run, it's an out. He summed up my quest for the perfect way to explain what storytelling feels like in my family. The following is an essay, a work in progress, I wrote entitled Home Run. She could stop the rain, my mother. Doesn't that sound crazy? I know, but it's true. You can ask my best friend Males if you know her because she witnessed it and still talks about it to this day. The miracle happened during a summer storm in 1989. Our freshly cut lawn lay beneath my friends Katie, Males, and myself. An abandoned volleyball, still with the heat of previous game of tips, retired near us. Males, flat on her back, trying desperately for the sun to tan her white Irish skin, but only catching red blotches down the bridge of her nose. Katie, flipping rapidly through the pages of a magazine as if it would be ripped from her hands at any minute. Wiffleball was taking place a few feet away a condensed version of baseball, one batter, one pitcher in a designated area for the ball to land, declaring a home run. My brothers played it every single day that the weather allowed and for hours at a time. The games could get pretty heated when they debated what was considered a decent pitch or not. Sometimes their tournaments would attract our neighbors as spectators. 
Other times, it made the elderly across the street grumpy because of the worn-down patches in their lawn. Jackpot! Katie exclaimed, holding up a magazine to a fold-out two-page layout of a popular actor called Kirk Cameron. He wore a cream-colored shirt under a royal blue blazer and a smile that could melt the legs right out from under a person. We bumped our heads together trying to get as close as possible to the page. I glanced over my shoulder to make sure we didn't get caught growing up too soon. We were safe. They didn't notice us at all. My father was sitting on a chair in our porch, his hands folded across his stomach and his legs stretched outward in front of him. He was startled out of his comfort with the bang against the metal lower half of our screen door. He waved his hands in disgust ah, and yelled, Come on! Learn the difference between a shit and a decent pitch! Michael, my brother, frustrated because of the foul tip, muttered a response close to his own chest. Our trio giggled, looking back down to our near future's questions, how to be a teenager. Hokey magazines filled with eyeshadow ideas beyond our years offered hope of catching attention from boys, who we recently found interesting. Flipping through the pages, we compared our discoveries of models who seemed to be living perfect lives that we were sure our teen years would provide. We pointed out different pages to each other, excited to reveal the perfectly put-together ensembles these models in teenage life promised us days of laughing, kissing boys, smoking cigarettes. They had such exciting lives at the beach, the mall, and just walking through the city. I can't wait to be 13, Katie exclaimed. We were all children in the sun with summer dreams. We listed boys at school we thought were cute in order of their cuteness and altered the list according to each other's influences. In a hurry to grow up faster than we were supposed to, we ignored the unexpected wind that blew through our moment and held the pages down as they flipped rapidly on their own. My brothers couldn't gauge their ball from the game. It soared away like a piece of popcorn escaping a pot only to jump right into a moving ceiling fan and land in the center, center of our circle. My brother Mac, shirtless, becoming more golden brown as the summer seconds went on, dove to retrieve it, disrupting our preteen desires. Well, mine at least. My friends giggled with flirtation while I snapped, Watch it! While trying to protect our precious magazines as though they were made of delicate glass and his shenanigans could shatter them, a strange green shade shadowed the sky, dulling down the puffs of bright white clouds. We all looked upward in wonder. My brother brushed the grass off his shorts and torso. I'm sure he curiously wondered if his manly dive shifted the universe. Mac returned to the game while we continued holding the edges of our pages for more frequent winds and the distinct smell of rain suddenly in the air. A few minutes later, the first fat drops plopped down, smearing the ink of the images of our future. It was only one minute after that that we three ran awkwardly to seek shelter under the awning from a now downpour. My crazy brothers, shaking the rain from their hair like lions trotting in the wild, attempted to continue playing. Ah, goofs, my father exclaimed as he held the door for us girls entering the house one by one, our future now tucked under our shirts. Following the first burst of thunder and lightning from the sky, in came my soaked brothers clumsily tumbling over each other. 
wiffle ball and bat placed under the bench on her porch with hopes of a game revived. Mac and Steve parked themselves at the dining room table to go over the game half-played, deciding who was better. The rain outside escalated from heavy to torrential. The child inside all of us still believed that instant storm out of nowhere would be brief enough to salvage our summer leisure. My father was standing in front of the TV, a dish towel draped over his shoulder, and his hands on his hips like a double-handed saucere, peering at the moving ticker along the bottom of the screen, reading words of a tornado warning. My mother, already rummaging through drawers for candles in the kitchen. Thunder jolted us upward, changing the green sky to gray like an exploding jar of paint from the clouds. Holy shit, whispered Katie. Trees swayed and rapidly fought the strengthening winds as the rain became so intense that it completely washed away the world outside the windows. The TV started a series of a beeping pattern, one long beep, followed by short ones, until the screen went bright blue with only the white tornado ticker sliding along the bottom. It was as though the TV had become irritated with our blagé non-response to its warning and decided to go full-on panic mode. Well, that's not great, said Michael sarcastically. Mac and Steve seized their banter and shifted attention to the living room. Suddenly, there seemed to be a reason to feel afraid. The lights flickered a few times before the house went dark. Power had been taken from us. We had only lightning here and there through the windows to shine our fearful eyes until my mother came in with one lit candle, my father behind her with another. The new silence of the house without appliances humming amplified the rain which was beating sideways against our house. My brother Steve got a small radio from his room. We placed it in the center of us, now formed in a circle. We tuned into a station that was giving reports of the storm as well as warnings. Our nerves, now depending on the batteries inside that radio, praying they had as much life as the growing storm between us, some bricks, and a few window panes. Stay away from all windows and take cover in the lowest part of your home, said the voice from the hard, circular, dotted speaker. This did not calm anyone. It only intensified this entirely different kind of day. It was only a half an hour earlier that we were having a nice time. My brothers unwinding with sport, and us girls laughing and plotting the future. Now, Males, Katie, and I were huddled together, jumping at every thunder strike. We weren't sure if we would even see the following school year, let alone our teen years that we were so convinced were going to be incredible. The storm had become a monster, its claws being the rain, beating against the windows trying to rush through and wash us all away. The trees were swaying uncontrollably, losing branches and thrusting them all over the street. The sky became a giant bucket of golf balls dumping hail all at once. My mother, candle in one hand, rubbed my trembling back with the other. I didn't even care about Kirk or the eyeshadow ideas. I just wanted to live. I surrendered to my remaining childhood. Heck, I embraced it. I silently vowed to never try to grow fast again. It was then that my father decided to ask us if he had ever told us about the infamous tornado of 1967. It was wildly inappropriate and so obviously bad timing, yet we welcomed the distraction. Well, we did at first. He didn't wait for us to answer. He just continued. 
Going back to the memory, he described driving home from work that afternoon and seeing a shopping cart once on the ground, suddenly circling the bottom of a flagpole, twisting its way up, all the way up. And he said to himself, holy mackerel. And as he did, my siblings and I already mouthed the words, holy mackerel, as we had heard this story many times. It was one we shared with friends, almost in a bragging fashion. Oh, yeah. Well, did your dad ever drive faster than a tornado? Yeah, I didn't think so. Ours had. It was an exciting tale, and he told it very well, like all his stories. However, this time it was a poor choice considering our predicament. His eyes were dazzled with excitement as he stood in the center of our terrified circle explaining how he drove forward with the twister in his rearview mirror, leaving rubble where buildings once were only seconds before and wiping out an entire suburb not far from where we lived. My father, too lost in the heroism of his continued tale, didn't consider us, the huddled group of wincing children, our mouths wide open and eyes shifting in terror from the window back to him, wondering if the horn-like warning now echoing the skies outside would be the last sound we would ever hear. His shadowed imagery grew larger than the room against the candle flame as he twisted his arms to describe the gray disaster spinning homes, toys, and I believe he said people too. The lightning pattern against his animated body movements creating a flickering horror as he recounted what obviously was a traumatic experience for him as well. My mother stood upright and announced, That's enough. It was shocking. His jaw dropped mid-sentence as if she was some audience member who interrupted his performing monologue in a Broadway play. We've had enough, she assured us, now scanning the room. We shrugged our shoulders in disbelief, but what she was about to do would leave us in utter amazement. She took a deep inhale, straightened her top half upright to march towards the door, opened it, and exited to the front porch. We just about knocked each other over to watch her through the forbidden windows. My mother was the only person outside. She stood in the storm's eye, shook her fist, and yelled, In the name of our Lord, I command you to stop. Her demands were met with undying winds that attempted to carry her over the railing. Our bodies jolted upward with another boom of thunder that challenged my mother. She repeated, I said, in the name of our Lord and Savior, I command you to stop. The water rushing down her face and arms, soaking through her clothes, now hung to her frame. The street had quickly become a river with floating personal articles of our neighbors. Katie pointed and exclaimed, Santa! And there was a decorative statue accompanied by tennis rackets, clothing, and cardboard boxes. People's basements were floating by. My father stood at the door trying to persuade my mother to stop. Hey, Marge, this is crazy. Come back inside. But this was personal, between herself and the dangerous storm threatening her family. Her moment was original long before Lieutenant Dan. Ignoring him, she continued, In the name of Jesus, I absolutely command you to stop. 
With one last flash of lightning and thunder, the rain eased into a light shower and then to a trickle in a matter of seconds. Our amazement transcended into an energy that brought us to our feet as we pushed each other back outside where we scurried down the steps into the lawn to fan out. There, in one hopeful ray of sun and sunlight, upon the top step where she claimed her victory, stood my drenched mother, laughing. Water drops fell from her lashes protecting the same eyes that only saw her own mother a few times before losing her to tuberculosis as a toddler. The same eyes that deepened a little with the sad news of her distant father's death and search and wonder for who he really was, not ever really getting that answer. The same eyes that gazed out humbly at her classmates as they elected her homecoming queen in high school. The same eyes that dazzled, blinking rapidly at the sight of her best friend's brother, unknowingly winking at and falling in love with her future husband. The most important sight those eyes had, though, were on her own children. Through any storm, she kept both eyes close on us. And in her last days, my mother used her final words in life to repeat many times, all good people protect children, because she lived by those words. That day, when her eyes met mine, I saw the warmness of a champion that just stared down yet another of life's storms and triumphed with kindness and faith. In my mind's eye, I can still see her in that light, surrounded by hope. It was one of, va- of many valuable lessons given to me from her. Sometimes you're the only one who believes in yourself, and with God's help you can. She had done it. Seize the storm. It was immediate peace. My mother never doubted God, not once. She lived that way in front of anyone who was watching, and it was gorgeous. We met with surprised neighbors on lawns to chit-chat about the flood damage done to basements and yards. My mother, standing in the distance from her top stair, enjoyed her faith coming to life as it had so many times before and would again so many times after that day. Wiffle ball, although a soap challenge, did continue later. But my mother already had the biggest home run. Well, this is as good a place as any to end this episode. My name is Ruru Sig, and I thank you for listening to The Story Chaser. Remember, there are stories everywhere. The key is to focus in on the little memories to find the bigger moments. My promise to you is that I'll keep chasing those stories. Be well, folks, and go ahead. Have a wonderful life.